0: Hello folks and we are back on the Boots on the Ground pod on the Believe Network alongside Ben Conroy. I am Essex there and Ben we've talked a whole lot about basketball since our return from our our little break during the Thanksgiving season but we have yet to talk about football and the end of Wake Forest season before we took the break. We had the Duke game and the NC State game and then we did not cover the last two games of the season, a 45-7 loss at Notre Dame and a 35-31 loss at Syracuse. So we're going to get into a whole lot of football in this episode, specifically the portal, the ins, the outs, people going to the draft, etc. cetera. But before we, we get into all that, let's look at those, those last two games, Ben. So first off, right before the Thanksgiving break, Wake Forest goes to South Bend, Indiana, loses pretty heavily to the Irish an Irish team led at quarterback by Sam Hartman. And you never, you didn't know what you were going to get about out of Sam Hartman in that game, you know, in in terms of what he was like at Wake Forest, especially in that last season, there was some highs and some lows. So you didn't know whether you're going to get a high out of Sam Hartman or a low certainly got a high Hartman threw four touchdowns and, and on the other end, Against a really, really strong Notre Dame defense. The Wake Forest offense couldn't get anything going. Michael Kern at quarterback couldn't get anything going really. And and Notre Dame ran up that score, Ben.
1: Yeah, not much went right for Wake Forest in this one. Um I will say though that the touchdown drive that Wake Forest had was maybe their most entertaining touchdown drive of the season to watch. They pulled out all the stops, ran some trick plays, found found, you know, for a brief moment that creativity and that spark that has made their offenses so difficult to prepare for, I think, in years in years past. But yeah, I mean, that Notre Dame defense um, lived up to the hype, I think, on that day, and Wake really just had nothing going consistently. Deeks hung in there for a little bit, and then it really went off the rails in the second half. It was a game that you and I both picked Wake to lose pretty heavily, and turns out we were right, but I think, you know, I don't think either of us predicted 45-7. So, Again, yeah, on Sam Hartman's second senior day with Notre Dame, the Irish run up the score pretty much. Run Wake right out of town. This game was over quickly. Uh, like I said, Wake hung around for a bit, but you know, it never really felt like a game where the Deeks were gonna gonna get over the hump and and make this one competitive long term, and ended up getting blown out.
0: I agree with you on two points there, Ben. The first being that. I did expect Wake Forest to get beat pretty heavily, but 45-7 is a large deficit for the Demon Deacons, so that was a surprise. The second of which being, you mentioned it, that touchdown drive, it was really solid. I mean, the trick plays, what was it? Was it Jamal Banks who threw a pass on that drive?
1: Yeah, real pretty throw. Real pretty throw. Yeah,
0: they opened up the playbook quite a bit, and it was the most electric, kind of inspirational. Drive that we had seen out of the Wake Forest offense in quite some time. Now that was the only score of the game for the Deeks, but there was at least a sign there that the team was able to get some something going on the offensive side of the ball, and I think it translated a little bit over to the next week, where Wake Forest another away game to close out the season in the formerly formerly the Carrier Dome, now the JMA Wireless Dome up in Syracuse, and Michael Kern looked a lot better. Finish the game. 18 to 24, 263 yards, three touchdowns, and then an interception right at the end of the game, a really tough one in the sense that Wake Forest scores a touchdown. It would have gotten them within a score, but they decide to go for two and they don't get it. So Wake Forest is down by four, then has the ball later in the game with a what would have been a chance to kick a field goal, tie the game, send it to overtime. But Wake Forest down by four needs a score, a score to go win. And on a fourth down, Michael Kern throws an interception, and Syracuse is able to run out the clock, sending Wake Forest to another loss, ending the season four and eight. And most importantly, Ben, if Wake Forest had been five and seven with a win, the way bowl season came together, the Deeks would be preparing to play a game right now, and we would be. This would be a very different podcast. We'd probably be talking about the team that the Deeks are playing because of this loss they're four and eight they do not reach an eighth straight bowl under dave clausen and it's kind of a a tough bow tie on a season that was lackluster and below expectations for probably both the team but also external uh expectations from the fans and, and the media to some to some extent
1: yeah i really you know from, a, from how the game played out, a very frustrating game, I think, for Wake Forest to lose because that was the best the offense looked, I think, all season, you could argue. That was, I think, the best quarterback play you probably saw all season from Michael Kern. You got the receivers involved. Taylor Morin had a couple of really long catches. Wake score, has four separate 75-yard touchdown drives. That was just you know a level of production that we really didn't see from this team. You got your star receivers involved, Wesley Grimes. Had two touchdowns, including a very acrobatic catch in the back corner late in the game. Jamal Banks scored. You got him involved more. Offense was moving. It was just the the defense just didn't have the answers. Just too many explosives, too many big plays. You give up over 240 rushing yards and give up four passing touchdowns, touchdown throws of 35, 37, and 47 yards. I mean, that's just not going to get it done on the road. Um, against a Syracuse team that you know showed flashes of having a lot of potential this year, just was a, a really frustrating game to lose. And like you said, you know, an, a sort of fitting end to Wake Forest's 2022 and 2023 campaign. Um, just not, just not what you were hoping for. Not what, not what you'd expect. You know, going into the season, sort of just looking back at things holistically. Wake Forest starts 3-0, and then they lose eight of their last nine games to go 4-8, and then they snap that bowl streak. And, you know, we're going to get into it. Uh, This team has some work to do to sort of rebuild itself, rebuild its image, get back to what they were doing right as we sort of move into the offseason here and what has been a very tumultuous portal season so far.
0: Yeah, you talk about the portal season, Ben. First, let's get into who is leaving Wake Forest, it starts at the the top of the list. It has to be quarterback Mitch Griffiths, the heir apparent to the position left behind by Sam Hartman for quite some time. Really, he ever since he came in for for Hartman in the the VMI game in 2022, it's been the writing on the wall that Mitch Griffiths would be the next starter at quarterback for, uh, for the Demon Deacons. And it was a struggle this season. Just over 1,500 yards, nine touchdowns, and seven interceptions. Also some fumbles in there. For every play that gave you hope for what Mitch Griffiths could do, there was a play that just left you shaking your head. Um, He got benched twice at Virginia Tech, where they brought in Michael Kern. He got hurt, could not play for a few games. Dave Clawson said after the season that had Michael Kern not gotten hurt in that game, that that may have been where the change was made in terms of benching Mitch Griffiths. And then he was benched for good uh, against NC state in C- on senior day where everything went wrong for Wake Forest. Griffiths, no published offers yet. I haven't heard any whispers about anything that doesn't mean he hat doesn't have offers, but they're not circulating out there. A lot of it comes from players circulating those offers. So I don't really know where things stand there. But two things, Ben, just thoughts on on where it kind of all
1: went wrong
0: for Mitch Griffiths, but also where does he go from
1: here? Yeah, you know, I obviously every Wake Forest fan, I'm sure, has given this one a lot of thought. It's something I've given a lot of thought to just because, you know, I flash back to the episodes of this podcast we did before the football season started, and we were thinking, you know, Mitch Griffiths can spin it. This kid was incredibly accurate in fall camp by all accounts, played well last year in the action that he saw, you know, he's got some talent returning at wide out. They've got some consistency in the running back room, you know, have some veteran guys on the offensive line, you know, expect him to go out there and produce. Definitely. I think it was reasonable to expect, you know, a little bit of a step backward, at least in the first season from what Sam Hartman was able to go out there. But then, you know, I just never thought that Mitch Griffiths really looked quite comfortable out there for extended periods of time, especially when conference play started. He had some, he, he played, you know, fairly well against Elon, fairly well against Vanderbilt, had a really good second half against Old Dominion, played pretty poorly in the first half. And then once conference play started and sort of the, you know, the stakes ratcheted up, I just, I never thought he found a good rhythm with the receivers. I never thought he looked comfortable in the pocket. I thought that he just never really found his timing under center. And when he would drop back, I didn't think that the offensive line did a great job of protecting him. I didn't think the receivers were as sharp for a lot of the year as they usually are. And so, you know, I think it was breakdowns all over the field that certainly didn't help Mitch Griffiths. I don't think Mitch Griffiths' uh, decision-making was, you know, the best really struggled holding on to the ball, you know, that nine touchdown to seven interception ratio. And, you know, like you said, more fumbles to go along with that is certainly frustrating for a Dave Clawson coach football team. And this was a, an addition into the transfer portal where Mitch Griffiths did not waste any time. That was, it happened pretty much right after the regular season wrapped up. I wasn't totally surprised by it. I was wondering how it was going to play out. And I do think this is one that maybe mo- both parties will benefit from It just seemed like the fit wasn't there between Mitch Grivis and, you know, something wasn't working, you know, fundamentally. And I can't speak to exactly what that was, but I think anybody who watched the games just saw that Mitch was taking a lot of sacks, was turning the ball over a lot. The offense was very stagnant, really struggled to put up points. So. My thoughts on exactly where it all went wrong, I I, I can't pinpoint really an exact moment, but it just seems like this is a chapter of Mitch Griffith's career that he would probably like to put behind him. So two thoughts, Ben. First on,
0: I guess, where it all went wrong, I think from the get-go. I mean, VMI, so VMI in 2022. I started to develop these ideas about Mitch Griffiths. I thought he played a really, really good football game. I specifically remember a, a touchdown where he was rolling out and threw a really good ball. And you looked at that and you thought, okay, this kid might have something going. And we, everyone in the media has seen him play in so many camps. I mean, he'd been at Wake Forest for a long time. A- and in practice, he was a really good quarterback. And then in this past season, it just didn't translate over to the games. And I think from the get-go, in 2023, that first Elon game, when Wake just allowed Elon to stay in the game for so long, I I started to get worried about the Deeks very quickly. I thought it could have just been a start of the season, starting things slow, and and they picked up against Vanderbilt. Yes, but I was worried. And, and then Georgia Tech, that fourth game, the third game of the season, Old Dominion was ugly, but finding a way to win away from home, there were some positives to take away. And I thought things could build back up against Georgia Tech. They went the absolute op- opposite direction. The Wake Forest offense was abysmal against the Yellow Jackets. And that's where I kind of sat there and thought, Wake is in trouble this season. That's where I really started to develop this idea that Wake Forest, I thought Wake was going to be that 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 edge of a bowl game type situation, trying to get to six wins. And that's where I started to realize that this team might struggle to win a lot of games, which was the case in terms of where does Mitch Griffiths go from here? I think, I think it'll benefit him. You said it yourself, Ben, that I think this is probably a positive parting for both groups. I think he could do well to, to move down a step either to a group of five side or maybe an FCS team and just, find a way to get comfortable against lesser competition. I think there was a lack of comfort at times against power five opponents and see if he can just refine that magic. Cause I think, I think there is a good quarterback, a very good one inside of Mitch Griffiths somewhere. I, it I saw it talent. in practice, saw it against VMI, small sample size game wise, but I think there's talent there. And I think there's a reason, obviously that Wake Forest recruited him. It's just refinding it and rekindling that talent level. So We'll see where he goes. I think it'll be interesting. There was a thought to, in my mind that Mitch Griffiths maybe sticks around just based on his personality. I I was wondering if he was going to stick at Wake and, and, and fight for the spot. I wouldn't have necessarily suggested it. So, But it was a thought that I thought it was a possibility that Mitch stays at Wake, and he didn't. And I think that's the right move, but... I wouldn't have been surprised if he stayed. I wasn't surprised that he left, but just an interesting scenario nonetheless. Now, three of his top targets also leaving Wake Forest through the transfer portal. The first one that I'll bring up is the only one of those three that has found a new home already, and that is Wesley Grimes, not making too large of a trip just you know, across 40 down to Raleigh, down to your neck of the woods, Ben to go play football for NC State. This past season, 20 catches, 339 yards, four touchdowns, two of those in the final game of the season at Syracuse, but never really caught on at Wake. He was one of the best recruits in history, but it just never f- felt like he he really found his footing at Wake Forest, he, he, a really deep wide receiver room, so that's tough. But there was, I think, some serious talent and expectations coming in at the beginning for Wesley Grimes because he was a four-star you know, a really talented recruit, but it it never really translated in huge scale onto the field. And so he he transfers to another ACC team and next year we'll have Coastal Carolina transfer, Grayson McCall, throwing him the ball. I just, Ben, there was a lot of reactions to this transfer, not only because it's an inter or intra conference transfer, ACC to ACC, but NC state of all places one of wake Forest's most hated rivals it it, a few years ago this wasn't something that would be possible because of how much has changed in the ncaa and i think there are some frustrations from the fan base about this move so just your thoughts been on 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 the move for for wesley grimes to go from wake forest to to nc state
1: yeah i mean First of all, I want to say just how much I love Wesley Graham's game. When he's on, he's a really entertaining and fun receiver to watch. I think you saw that against Syracuse. I think that was Wesley Graham sort of unlocked a little bit. It was just kind of poetic justice on the season, just a little bit too little, a little bit too late. You know the, but what I, that was one of those transfer, transfers where when I saw it on Twitter that he was going to make the move to NC State, my first thought was that one is going to sting. That one's going to sting within the program with the coaching staff, with the fan base, that one is going to sting, not just because, you know, it's it's hard to blame players in this day and age for transferring and looking to find a new home, especially a guy like Wesley Grimes, who has a ton of talent, but just so many things around him in the offense weren't there this year to allow him to sort of step into the role. I know the coaching staff was hoping that he would find this year. It's hard for me, at least, to hold that against a player to go, especially with how the rules are now, to go look for somewhere else where you can play and give yourself a shot. But to go over to arguably your most bitter rival in NC State, I think you know, I think some Wake Forest people are going to have that game circled on their calendar next year when Wake faces off against NC State. I think that Wesley Graham's will have a ton of success. He is, you know, clearly in my mind at least a high enough caliber receiver to really make an impact in this conference. This year was just a you know. Wake struggled finding their receivers all year long. Jamal Banks didn't have the output. He was projected to have. Wesley Grimes didn't. Taylor Morin didn't. None of the uh, none of the guys in the offense really did. Wake's offense really struggled. So I was thinking before the offseason that, you know, this wide receiver room is crowded. And this Wake offense this year just didn't really live up to the expectations and the reputation that it built up for itself under Sam Harbin. I kind of expected an exodus from that room. At least a couple of guys I didn't expect it in the volume that we have seen thus far and we'll get to some of the other guys that have taken a dip but I mean this one stings there's no doubt about it Wesley Grimes was a highly touted recruit was one of those guys that whenever he checked in sort of in his early days he would show these flashes where he'd get open downfield make a great catch you could see why Wake recruited him and you know how he had the potential to be you know a great receiver at Wake Forest and just to see it not come to fruition like that and especially to see those talents go to work for Not just another team in your conference, but an in-state rival is, I'm sure, very difficult to stomach for Dave Klaus and his coaching staff.
0: I agree. I think Wesley Grimes was a really big talent. He was an exciting player to watch. Uh, the, The NC State transfer, A, him entering the portal, and B, him transferring to NC State was something on my radar for a while. I think it came as a surprise to a lot of fans, but to some media, there were, there were the writing was on the wall that I think he was going to transfer. I thought that I kind of thought about it to myself when during the Syracuse game, when he caught two touchdowns, I was like, well, this is great, but I think he's going, uh, he and, got, himself and then, some tape. got
1: himself some tape.
0: Yep. He got himself some tape and NC state was always the destination that was ever that seemed like that was going to happen for a while. So it didn't come as a huge surprise to me. I think it came as a big surprise to the fan base and I understand the frustrations, but again, it was just something I saw coming for quite some time. So I wasn't as thrown off by it, but nonetheless, interesting. Another guy leaving this one threw me a little bit more for a loop. I thought it was going to be one slot receiver or another. I just picked the wrong one. Uh, So Keyshawn Williams, leaving Wake Forest through the portal 38 receptions this past year, 384 yards, just one touchdown. He shined a lot in, in 2021 and 22 with Sam Hartman at quarterback. The most catches of his collegiate career came in 22. Um, and, and this move makes sense to me. It was crowded at the slot position and it was a crowded wide receiver room. As I said, I, I thought one slot guy had to go. It was going to either be Taylor Morin or, Williams, and it ends up being Williams. Got caught up in that battle, and because of his talent, there's there are suitors out there from him. So in terms of offers, I'm just going to list some of the top ones. Baylor, Houston, Utah, Cincinnati, Indiana, amongst a lot of others. I don't have a ton of intel on this one, but interestingly enough, I'm keeping my eye on Indiana. They just got their quarterback, they got a new coach in Kurt Signetti from James Madison. They just got their quarterback in Rourke from Ohio, a player that, that Wake Forest was in on until they made a switch. Uh, that's, that's what I'm keeping my eye on. I don't know where Keyshawn Williams is going. I haven't heard a ton, but I am keeping my eye on Indiana.
1: Yeah. I, I like Keyshawn Williams's game so much. He was one of those guys where He just has sort of that electrifying spark factor that and I thought he was, I thought the best thing about him was that he was so good in space when you would get him the ball over the middle or, you know, out in the flat. He was so good at making guys miss. So speedy, made a lot of big plays. You're right in 2021, 2022. But I think to most people, it was was clear that just there, there weren't enough reps at the slot to go around and to do justice to guys who are as talented as Taylor Moore and Keyshawn Williams are. I agree. I wasn't, I, my thought was also that one of them would probably leave. It's just so crowded at at that particular position. And there, there just wasn't a whole lot of offensive production in general to go around this year. And I was not surprised also to see Keyshawn Williams pick up a bunch of offers from really good, you know, power five teams. And I think he will, I think he will make another team very, very happy. I think he is a weapon. I think he can be such a spark plug for an offense and it is, he did some really great things at Wake Forest, so I'm, I'm sure the fan base is also bummed to see him go. I am looking forward to see how another offense can sort of use him as a weapon. I'm curious to see where he ends up and what sort of role he will he will play, because I think, like I said, just such an explosive player that, you know, was able to carve out a big role at Wake Forest, just sort of diminished this year amongst the offensive struggles sort of around him, so... Again, you know, a hit to the wide receiver room for sure. Taylor Morin did announce that he's coming back to Wake Forest. They will st- still have, you know, their guy at slot. And Taylor Morin obviously is as reliable as they come at the slot, produces and produces, and does a great job in the punt return game as well. So, you know, not totally unexpected. I wasn't totally surprised when I saw this one hit the internet. I think, I think probably, you know, a move that makes sense for Keyshawn Williams. I think he's going to... I think he's going to go and, like I said, make another team very, very happy somewhere else in the country. And then here's the the last of the wide receivers,
0: or at least the, the three big ones. But this is the big one. This is the big fish. Jamal Banks really starred at Wake Forest, coming out of, of Baltimore, Maryland, a, a big power program there in Baltimore, St. Francis. 59 catches this past season, 363 yards, four touchdowns not the most productive of seasons, as you said, Ben, and this is a thought that I've had as well. I think there there's two reasons behind that. Just the the inefficiency of the offense as a whole plays a huge role, and then a very crowded wide receiver room. You've got a lot of mouths to feed in that room. And, and so the ball getting spread around, there's not just one guy who, who's taking in a, a majority of the passes. It, just a big room, and then the passes weren't, necessarily there much this season to begin with. But last year he had nine touchdowns, really, really good year. That was kind of the breakout year for Jamal Banks, especially two really, really big touchdowns against Clemson. I mean, an incredible performance in that game where the Wake Forest offense was humming in ways I haven't really seen before or seen since. Uh, He was getting off that last year. He was getting some first team all ACC votes I think it was Athlon who gave him the first team all ACC preseason selection, but it just never really materialized. There's a lot of attention now in the portal for a talent like Jamal Banks. So he took a visit to Wisconsin per Badger Notes, one of the the sites over over there in Madison. And then reports are out from several members of the media that he will be at Notre Dame for a visit this weekend. Notre Dame having just picked up Riley Leonard from Duke. So a very established, very talented quarterback in South Bend. And the Irish might be getting themselves a a nice new target for Leonard and Jamal Banks. That's one that's going to be a really interesting transfer portal experience, one could say, to follow. I'm really interested to see where Jamal Banks goes. I have no idea where he's going to go, but some really big time schools there. Wisco is a great school. Notre Dame's an incredible football program. They're going to have another really good quarterback after Sam Hartman departing. It's going to be interesting, but these are good schools like Jamal Banks. This is, this is one of those moves where it feels like it is a business decision. Like Wake Forest is a dynamic offense. Really, really good. Jamal Banks has shown that he can shine in the Wake Forest offense, but Notre Dame I think they're going to have a a very good offense again next year. We'll see. We'll see what Jamal Banks does.
1: Yeah, I mean, with this competitive, you said it, you know, with as competitive as the transfer portal is, when you have as much talent as Jamal Banks, somebody is going to come and find you and somebody is going to come and give you, you know, a a tempting offer. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure it was a very difficult year to be Jamal Banks this year, especially after you said, you know, there was a good stretch of the year where he was right near the, the lead in the ACC last year in touchdowns. He was, he was wakes like contested red zone, touchdown end zone guy. You throw it up to him and he would come down with the ball and he still has all that talent. You know, he he made a really nice touchdown catch in the last game of the year near the, near one of the front corner pylons against Syracuse, sort of just one-on-one ball, 50, 50 pulls it in, shows, you know, what he can do. And that was the best the offense looked all year. Um, But again, I, you know, three hundred and sixty-three receiving yards, especially with Donovan Green out this year. You were expecting Jamal Banks to go off, to to lead this team and to be one of the premier receivers in the conference. And for a lot of for a lot of ways or for a lot of reasons, just it just didn't work out that way. There was just a regression in the offense all around. The I don't think the the quarter play, obviously, quarterback play was not at the level this year generally that it was with Sam Hartman offense really struggled. There was not enough time really for the kind of routes that Jamal Banks thrives on to sort of develop down the field. You know, the quarterbacks were pressured very heavily and a lot of turnovers. And you know, I, I think both Wisconsin and Notre Dame would be good fits for Jamal Banks. I think he would do very well, especially at Notre Dame with Riley Leonard. I think Riley Leonard has a ton of talent and, would be a good fit is going to be a good fit at Notre Dame as well. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to see where he ends up. I know the wake fan base is going to be hurting to see him go because that was a, a really like electric guy to watch out in the offense and just, a you know, a, a big body deep ball receiver that showed, like you said, it's frustrating because he found success in the wake forest offense. He, you know, we saw that he can, he can thrive and he can have success in the way the wake forest plays So, but that's kind of the way of college football. Now, Wake had a down year that doesn't, but, you know, other coaches know enough to see that that offense is still full of talented players. And, you know, after a season where not much went right for Wake Forest, it makes sense to me that a lot of the the guys who are still producing and have, you know, this high talent level are looking for new homes so they can find better situations, better roles. You know, I, I can't speak for what is going on with NIL, but I'm sure that plays a factor as well in everything. So not totally surprised, I guess, by Jamal Banks leaving. It's just going to be a much, you know, it's going to be a new look wide receiver room for Wake Forest next season. It's,
0: it's a brutal business, Ben, but it's business, especially in this day and age of college football. Moving on, just quickly going through a few a few more departures for Wake Forest. Running back Justice Ellison, one of the few who's committed to a new squad, following in the path of former Wake Forest running back Christian Turner to Indiana. New coach, as I said, Kurt Zignetti. Kind of a, a re... I wouldn't call it a rebuild. I'd call it kind of a remaking of this Indiana Hoosiers squad. But 548 yards this year for, for Justice. A touchdown last year was really the the best we saw of Justice Ellison, 707 yards, six touchdowns, and then seven touchdowns in 2021. Uh, Working in that tandem this year with DeMond Claiborne again, as it kind of goes for the whole offense, just underwhelming, just a tough year overall for the Wake Forest offense. You can't pinpoint it on any one guy, but all those, all those players who in past years performed better, Just as a whole this year, there wasn't that same level of performance. And that applies to Justice Ellison as well. That tandem with DeMond Claiborne also playing a role. Claiborne getting elevated snaps as the season goes on. And it's tough when you're a two-man system that you're always going to be a little bit hungry for more, probably one would say. So losing a guy like Justice, I think, hurts Wake Forest, but there is that continuity. DeMond Claiborne, we'll talk about the guys who are coming back in a bit, but Demon Claiborne coming back, which is a huge retention for Wake Forest. They have two running backs who they brought in as freshmen this past season, David Egby and Drew Pickett, perhaps seeing those guys step up, perhaps seeing Will Towns. And then, of course, you have Tate Carney, who really started to come into his own this season for Wake Forest. So, as I said, that continuity in the running back room, losing a guy like Justice Ellison Hurts, but they're – Next man up. Essentially, the last guy we'll go into just a little bit. AJ Williams, defensive back, departing for Coastal Carolina. Played in eleven games. Ben and I, I have to say, I, I liked him in the secondary. I, he was a guy that I was a fan of. I thought he was progressing well.
1: I, I, I liked what I saw predominantly of AJ Williams. I liked. Yeah, I thought he had you know a lot of potential, and he grew pretty much throughout the year. Whenever I would watch him out there, I thought he had. He was. Pretty fundamentally sound back there, and stepped into an expanded role very well. Definitely a bummer to see him go. I'm curious to see how he fares at Coastal. I'm sure he'll be a very featured part of that of that secondary. And then a few other
0: notables: quarter, another quarterback, Santino Marucci had, of course, that legendary end of game situation against Pitt, giving Wake one of its four wins this season. Nothing after, so looking for for a new destination, a new home, tight end Trey Bull, defensive lineman Jalen Hudson, someone who we've talked to before. We've done a story on him, a very likable guy, a great personality, a really good part of the Wake Forest special teams, but never was able to carve out that huge role that you were hoping that you would see him get at Wake Forest. So again, looking for a new destination, possibly more playing time, a larger role. Eli Hall was a big recruit for Wake Forest, but never caught on finding a new home, and then Brendan Harris, who was injured this past season, another guy who's going to be looking elsewhere. The big story is the guys that Wake Forest is going to be keeping going into 2024. So you have quarterback Michael Kern returning for Wake Forest. As I said, DeMond Claiborne, we talked about Taylor Morin coming back, another big wide receiver returning. You mentioned him earlier, Ben, in Donovan Green. Did not play this season with an injury. He's been awake for a long time. Very talented, but gets caught up in the injury bug a little bit. Two separate times that he's been out. He's And Wake Forest misses him because his talent is great. It'll be interesting to see just if he can come back at a 100% production level. But again, that talent is a really good thing for Wake Forest to have returning for for the Demon Deacons next season. He's a very good player and, and someone that can be a boon to your wide receiver room. Devontae Gordon coming back on the offensive line, another big one. Kevin Pointer on the defensive side. Jasheen Davis
1: coming back as well. Those are some big names returning, Ben. Yeah, especially those last two defensive guys you mentioned, I think are huge. Kevin Pointer, I thought, showed, you know, flashed, as Dave Clausen likes to put it, in, in at several points this year. Jasheen Davis, I think, is developing into a monster as well on that defensive line off the edge. So I think those are two really big. Returning guys on the offensive line, Devontae Gordon, just any continuity that you can get at that position, I think is super valuable. So I think Devontae Gordon did a lot of good things and he's done a lot of good things in his time at Wake. I expect him to take another step forward next year. And then those two wide receivers coming back as well. Taylor Morin, you know, just Mr. Wake Forest at this point, just as reliable as they come, veteran team captain, you know, very smart player, as talked about by Dave Claussen. And then Donovan Green. Really excited to see him hopefully come back at full strength, hungry, ready for a return. A guy that when you watch him play has all the talent in the world, was a very, very highly touted recruit. You know, had a pretty big role in the offense last year. or Sorry, not this past season, but the season before with. A.T. Perry, Jamal Banks had a lot of, you know, caught several, you know, a bunch of touchdown passes, made some big plays. This year was supposed to be the year where he developed into the guy. He was going to be the guy on the receiver room. And then he goes down with, you know, a second season ending injury of his career at Wake Forest, which is unfortunate, but you just hope that he can get back to full strength and keep producing. Damon Claiborne should be RB1 moving forward. I think that makes sense. I think he is an excellent running back. Very, very shifty. Plays, you know, very shifty while still running north-south and getting downhill. Had a lot of good plays this year, I thought. And then Michael Kern coming back, I think, is also a big boost for this program. Michael Kern, I thought, played fantastic in that Syracuse game. You know, the the, the interception that he threw, there's really no reason for him not to throw that ball. It was fourth and goal, so you just got to get the ball out of your hand. I don't think anyone's faulting him for that interception. I thought he played the best game that a Wake Forest quarterback played that year. So I'm interested to see how the competition shakes out with, you know, we're going to get to some of the guys that Wake has landed in the portal here. I'm interested to see how that quarter room, quarterback room competition shakes out next year. Before we move on, Ben,
0: I, I like what you were talking about in terms of DeMond Claiborne being RB one. There's always been that tandem at Wake Forest. Dave Clawson loves to run the RB one a and one B. I'm very interested to see what the Deeks do next season. Cause whether that's RB one and RB two or a and B DeMond Claiborne, obviously at the top of that list. Mm-hmm. And I think, Tate Carney presents a really interesting opportunity because they are not similar at all. Again, you, you mentioned them Claiborne being shifty a little bit more of that agility. And then Tate Carney is just a bruising back. Like if you need to get two, three yards, take Carney seems like he's your guy a lot. Like his brother Cade was for wake forest. So interested to see what they do there. Just before we we talk about the guys that Wake Forest brought in through the portal, there are some players going to the draft. A trio of, of Kaelin Carson, Malik Mustafa, and Chalen Garns going to the draft. All three have been critical to the Wake Forest secondary in their time in Winston-Salem. I think those are big losses. Jacob Roberts, a linebacker, is, is out of eligibility. I thought he played a really, really good season with Wake Forest. The so One year he was here after transferring in from NCAA and T. I thought he was great. And and then not necessarily a draft, but just a guy who's out and not via the transfer portal. Chase Jones, medically retiring from football. He was a captain for Wake Forest this past season and an injury, a a concussion kept him out the entire season. Just a a, a bummer for for Chase Jones. Yeah, you really do. He couldn't have happened to to a better football player a better guy better locker room guy just a just a bummer but just before we move on Ben th- those three guys in the
1: secondary critical losses for for Wake Forest yeah I mean Malik Mustafa is has outstanding closing speed for safety really hard hitting physical safety I think has the opportunity to develop into you know an immediately playable NFL defensive back incredibly disciplined back there was like you said, critical in the secondary sort of locked down that safety unit. Kalen Carson. I also think is an NFL lockdown caliber cornerback. I think he will be a day one, day two draft pick and, you know, can, has the potential to make a team in the NFL very, very happy. And then Chalen Garns was also great back there, you know, made a lot of plays fast, physical, That trio was pretty much the identity, like you said, of that Wake Forest secondary. And that it it leaves big shoes to fill. We'll leave it at that. Then you lose sort of the supporting piece of of AJ Williams. But definitely, you know, that that's an area for that Wake Forest, I'm sure, is in the market for guys in in the portal. And, you know, gonna look to develop some of the guys already in the program, but that is that is an area where Wake is gonna need to find some you know some some help and some more talent to replace the, the, those that that trio of those three guys who contributed so much to the program malik mustafa
0: was one of my favorite players i've covered in my time at wake forest i think he is an incredible talent i think he is so good and i think his skills translate over to the nfl really well because he is i i think he can pass cover well i think he can drop back as a safety but, man, he can just come in like a flash and knock you right on your backside. He is a big, bruising safety. He is versatile. I think you can play him at some different positions on the field. I mean, thinking about my Baltimore Ravens and how they utilize Kyle Hamilton, he, he, he's all over the place. I think I can see that a little bit with, with Malik Mustafa. He He's fast. He's agile. Again, as I said, he can lay a real big hit on you. So – I think we'll be watching him on Sundays for quite some time as he kind of using your phrasing, Ben, any team that gets him, I think is going to be very, very happy with what they get. So it, for, in terms of Wake Forest, I'm sure there are some hopes that, you know, he's going to be one of those NFL Sunday deeks that they, they put up on Twitter and on the video boards all the time. I think Malik Mustafa will be certainly one of those guys that they'll be able to go to for quite some time. Finally, the guys coming in to Wake Forest through the portal. The biggest name being the quarterback. It is, there's going to be a new quarterback in Winston-Salem in 2024. It will not be, obviously, Sam Hartman. It will not be Mitch Griffiths. There will be a new sheriff in town. Will that be quarterback Hank Bachmeier, who transferred in from Louisiana Tech? He spent four years at Boise State, started there as a freshman, he was a four-star recruit, had some really big time offers. I was going through some of those when he committed and then today like big schools. I think Georgia was on that list, Tennessee, a couple other SEC schools, some other Power 5s. A lot of people in on Bachmeier. He was especially good in 2021, threw over 3000 yards, 20 touchdowns, eight interceptions, and then things started to to fall off a cliff a little bit. Played in just four games the next year. There were some injuries playing into that. So he was able to redshirt because of the four games. And then he transfers transfers to Louisiana tech dealt with some shoulder injuries in his one year there this past season. And I'll use this term, a dumpster fire situation at Louisiana tech coach, Sonny Cumbie. He's had his whole, there's been some situations there with the media, just with how the team has gone. It not a whole lot of great stuff going on down at Louisiana tech. So a tough season, you know. Bachmeyer had 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 his shining moments and also some issues, the injuries there, of course. Over two thousand yards, ten touchdowns, five uh, five interceptions. Just before I kick it to you, Ben, some thoughts of of what I've seen on the film. Seems to me like much more of a, a pocket passer, less mobile. I would say. So I'm not sure, and I think Wake is slowly moving away from that mesh offense, but I don't know how that mesh offense comes into play with Bachmeier. And this is a term that, that cam lemons has talked about a lot over at 24 seven sports in terms of the quarterback market in the, in the transfer portal, whether it's the, the guys who are more up and comers. So from FCS or group of five programs, like what Wake Forest, their first quarterback they were looking at was Max Brosmer from New Hampshire. He was, the up and comer kind of prototype that I'm talking about here. And then you have the fixer uppers, which are the guys who are big names and teams are trying to find what was there, whether that's, and he kind of falls under this, but the first name that really just came into mind was, was Tyler Van Dyke going from Miami to Wisconsin. He's a name that comes to mind, but, uh, the, the quarterback that Louisville picked up as well, Tyler Schaff from from Baylor, like those those fixer upper type guys and that's the the, the descriptor that Hank Bachmeyer falls under for Wake Forest. And so there are no guarantees at quarterback going into 2024. It's going to be a competition. Wake Forest has not anointed a quarterback like they did in this past season. It could be a three-way competition. it could be a four. But there is nonetheless, once spring ball starts, going to be a competition at that position, Ben.
1: Yeah, I I thought it was an interesting addition for Wake Forest. I think I watched some film on him. I think there are several positives to look at. One thing, just during his career at Boise State, they just never had very good offensive lines. So Hank Bachmeyer just got absolutely clobbered in the pocket. Even despite all of that, and despite like you mentioned, sort of the tumultuous situation over at Louisiana Tech, one of the things I, I liked about Bachmeyer on film is that I think he, when he has time in the pocket, he has really good timing on intermediate throws. I saw a lot of throws where he would hit receivers coming over the middle on a slant, hit him in stride, big plays. Uh, Louisiana Tech last year had a receiver named Smoke Harris, which is a great name by the way for a football player. But uh, you know, a lot of the big plays for that team was. Simple routes over the middle, get the ball to your playmaker in space, hit him in stride. See ya. And I think that is sort of the thing that Wake Forest is trying to get back to on offense is they have so many playmakers that can, you can hit in the flat in space over the middle. It's something they really struggled with last year. And I also saw Hank Bachmeyer make some really good, you know, precision throws, whether that's down the seam. I saw him make a couple where he can sort of float it out there and drop it in the bucket Has dealt with some tough situations, like you said, some injuries, not a great situation over there at Louisiana Tech, but I do think that he has the potential to sort of fit into what this Wake Forest offense is looking to get back to, and I think you make a good point about the slow mesh as well. One thing about the slow mesh, and Dave Klassen will tell you this, is that Wake Forest runs the slow mesh in a much smaller percentage of their plays than the national media perception would have you believe because the slow mesh is something that is unique to wake forest. So naturally it draws attention from national media. They actually, you know, they, it's still a part of their offense, but they don't run it as, you know, is in as large a frequency as some of the national media coverage would have you believe. I just wanted to put that out there. I don't see any reason why Hank Bachmeyer couldn't, you know, transition into being able to work the slow mesh. but I am curious to see if he ends up being the starter, which again, like you said, no indication of how things are going to play out there, but I am curious to see that if, you know, if you put him in a stable situation with maybe a little bit better offensive line, a stable coaching staff, and a a sort of more well-established situation in Wake Forest to see what he can do. And also, there's the veteran, you know, component that comes into play. Hank Bachmeier is 25 years old. So, you know, a good veteran presence to have in the locker room, no matter how much he ends up playing. So overall, I like the addition. I think he's got some positives, like you said, fixer-upper. Not you know, some inconsistency with the you know with the interceptions and all of that, but you know, I think I think that Wake got some of what they were looking for in Hank Bachmeyer.
0: I agree, Ben. So not 25 yet, but will be 25 when the season comes. So that is old as <laughs> hell. Get out. One of the guys that so he he was not really on my radar, I'll be honest. I mean, Me neither, I've been following neither. the portal. I my brain was just it was on Brosmer for a while and then it was on Rourke. I didn't see Hank Bachmeyer coming until right before it was announced and he was the kind of guy where it's like guys still got eligibility but he does he will be 25 for the 2024 season so that that veteran presence a really good point brought up by you Ben. Will be interesting to do see what they do with the mesh I'm incredibly interested to see if Wake Forest starts to tr- uh, to pivot away from the mesh again you said they don't use it nearly as much as people think they do that is that is a fact they do not um but they might further pivot away from it so Bachmeyer, I can't wait for spring ball because that is going to be the every day that is going to be something where you can go to practice in the morning and you know exactly what you're excited to watch that day it is going to be Hank Bachmeyer and the other quarterbacks battling it out to try and get that starting spot moving on to, to number two for Wake Forest through the transfer portal is linebacker Branson Combs from Southern Illinois, 176 tackles over five years at SIU fills a role that Wake Forest needed to fill losing Jacob Roberts bringing into that room, you know, they're established guys like Quincy Bryan and Dylan Hazen, but filling a spot, whether that's even just a depth piece, but also if he turns out to be like Jacob Roberts, through the portal, which was a highly effective player. He graded out well at SIU. So I took a look at PFF an 83.9 overall grade for defense, 84 and a half for tackling. And interestingly enough, as a, as a cover linebacker, 91.2 in coverage. So there's not, you know, not a whole lot of tape that I was able to take a look at in terms of combs, but from purely a numbers basis. And of course this is FCS ball, but It'll be interesting to see how, how he, he turns out, whether it is, as I said, just a dev piece or if he, he turns out to be Jacob Roberts which was a big win for Wake Force through the portal last year.
1: Certainly, yeah. And Dave Clausen talks about, you know, how Wake sort of has to approach the transfer portal differently than a lot of teams. The guys that Wake looks for, by and large, are like Branson Combs, like Hank Bachmeyer, getting that grad transfer year of eligibility. So Dave Clausen has shown. In the past, you know, the capability to find, to find valuable players that are in that grad transfer year that fit very well into, you know, Wake Forest scheme and are able to produce at a high level. You think of, you think of Kobe Turner. You think of Jacob Roberts this year. You know, on that on that defensive side, and like you said, Wake unfortunately has lost some production at linebacker, so they were they were looking for a guy to bring in. This is a guy that is an established college football player. Like you said, never can totally predict how the jump is you know, going to be coming from FCS to FBS power five ball. But clearly Dave Clawson and staff saw something in him. Uh, The Wake Forest defense was really, really good in spots this year. So I know obviously they're going to be looking for continuity there, but yeah, it's just, uh, you know, the, the metrics I think are a good indication of how effective he was, you know, able to be at Southern Illinois. So I'm, I'm, I'm very curious. I'm sure he will be able to carve out a role in this defense. I'm very curious to see, sort of his playing style and how he fits within this, you know, Wake Forest scheme. And then the the final guy coming in
0: through the portal is an offensive lineman, which is a guy is, is a position that Wake Forest, again, needed to fill. It's Keegan Trost coming from a school with a very, very famous basketball player in its past, Jake Laravia, but also this guy named Larry Bird. Uh so Indiana State, I guess where You know, Jake LaRavia, very famous player, played, and then also some guy named Larry Bird. Where legends come from. Yeah, exactly. The legend, Jake LaRavia. So in his time in in Indiana, he's gotten better every year, played eight games in in 2023, graded out well, 72 overall, 63.8 in the run block. He was really, really good in the pass block, 83.7. One sack allowed all year, three hurries and just two penalties. He played every down at left tackle. So again, another position in need, Ben, and I think Wake Forest fills it. It's again, the FCS route, but they, Wake Forest has done well on that FCS route. There are hits at the FCS route. Wake Forest gets another guy of need there on the offensive line. On the board still, I think there are some places where Wake Forest could continue to make a move through the portal. The biggest remaining need in my book is defensive back. We talked earlier about all the guys going to the draft for Wake Forest. There are spots that probably need to be filled. So I've got four corners on the board that Wake Forest has offered. All of them, I won't go through their individual grades, but all of them grading out on PFF above 65, all of them playing a lot of snaps for their teams and all of them with some intriguing offers. So at the top of my board, Georgia Tech corner, Keenan Johnson. He has offers from West Virginia, Virginia Tech, Utah, Colorado, some others. Colorado State, TJ Crandall. He is the best coverage grade out of these four guys with a 77. Louisville's in on him. Michigan State, West Virginia, UCLA, NC State, Cal, Wisconsin, Arkansas, Indiana. That list goes on and on. He is a highly regarded corner in the portal. And a lot of people, a lot of schools rather, are vying for his services. Kent State, Capone Blue, TCU and Utah State are in on him. A few smaller other schools. But in terms of schools that have offered so far, Wake Forest seems to be in on this one. And then the most recent player to to get an offer from Wake Forest in terms of corners is from the FCS level again, Furman cornerback, Micah Robinson also grades out really well. Tons of snaps down in South Carolina at Furman offers from Liberty, West Virginia, West Virginia seems to be in on all these guys too. Boston college, Tulane, Memphis app state. So four corners on the board for me that I know have offers from wake forest. It's, it's a matter of trying to secure one of these guys services. There are schools, tons of schools in on all of them. And it'll be interesting to see if one of these guys ends up committing to Wake Forest. If not, it's back to the drawing board, because to me, Ben, this is absolutely a position of need. I think this is a position where Wake Forest is, unless the options just all disappear there. I think they need to make a move at this position in the portal.
1: Yeah. I think it's imperative um, to get one, you know, if not multiple guys to come in and sort of, fill the fill the gaps that have been left by guys leaving for the draft or transferring or what have you you know the the challenge recruiting is shifting in college football if you're dave clausen not only do you have to recruit you know high level high school talent but you and your staff have to place an even higher emphasis now on recruiting transfers and guys that are already in college and are fielding you know have this college pedigree and you know the the reputation of being productive players at other schools and also you know battling with other quality schools for these guys so i think it's going to be i fully expect wake forest like you said to make a one if not multiple moves at this position unsure right now just impossible p- to predict which guy it's going to be i love the name capone blue if that means anything to you that's a fantastic <laughs> name <laughs> but we'll just that's we'll just We'll just see how it shakes out because like we've said, this Wake Forest secondary, uh, it just it lost a lot of production. No other way to put it. You need you need some new guys and some new faces in there. So one last guy on my board at a different position.
0: Talking about the guys leaving, again, it was a room that was chock full of folks, but maybe, maybe a position where you pick up somebody and that's the wide receiver room. So Wake Forest did give an offer to Antonio Meeks from Tuskegee. Uh he has some offers as well, Kent State, Tulane, Iowa State. There was some heavy production from from Meeks this past season. 43 catches, 745 yards, so a lot of yardage gained by him this year and then five touchdowns. So the production is there. Haven't been able to see any film on him yet. There's also not PFF numbers, so I had to go searching through his school statistics on the on their website. So not a whole lot of info on this player, but from a pure numbers basis, interesting, intriguing, Uh, will be one to follow to see how this develops for Wake Forest and what school he ends up picking. There's going to be a lot more portal action after the conclusion of this podcast. There's a lot of time before the, the portal closes in the new year. And then with a flip of a switch before we know it, it'll be spring ball. And that will mark, as I said, the beginning of the quarterback battle that is going to be the story revolving around Wake Forest for the spring and then the summer going into the start of the 2024 season. I cannot wait to watch it. It's going to be intriguing from the start, I'm sure. So Jeremy Oklinski, who I watched live play football last night, was watching play in his Georgia 7A state championship with Walton. Uh tough tough ending for Walton they did not win last night but some positives to see from Hicklinski in that game and also from his entire season he's a finalist for national high school football player of the year I mean just a a crazy season like Georgia's been sniffing around on him now seems to be fully committed to Wake Forest he Dave Clawson and Warren Ruggiero I believe did a in-home with him he was wearing a Wake Forest towel in the game yesterday like i I don't expect a flip, but something to keep an eye on. Large talent. He is really, really good, at least from what I've seen from his high school film and also watching him play last night. So he'll be on campus for spring ball. It'll be him, Michael Kern being back, and then Hank Bachmeyer. if that truly is. I think it's going to be more of a three-quarterback battle, Ben, but I would not be surprised if it it turns into a little bit of a four-quarterback battle. Can't forget about he'll be a red shirt freshman next season, Charlie Gilliam. He just never was really in the quarterback conversation for 2023. He wasn't able to graduate early and, and come do spring ball. So he came in in the summer. And of course it's hard as a freshman and with Mitch Griffiths being the, the guy at that point to establish yourself in any way. So now there's the time to do so. He's been in the system. We'll see if he, swings in to make it a four quarterback battle. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Also wouldn't be surprised if it's a three-man showdown between Jeremy Klinsky, Michael Kern, and Hank Bachmeyer. It's crazy for me to ask this question, Ben, but I feel like it must be asked. Do you have any thoughts, insight, prediction, perhaps who might come out of that battle? I know this is a tough question for me to ask when you're filming on December 14th, who will start, at the end of August, but
1: yeah, I mean, if anything, I, I could see maybe Michael Kern starting with a slight advantage just because he showed some flash this year, played very, very well against Syracuse, obviously knows the system has been at Wake Forest for a long time. It's going to be, but I like the way Dave Clausen is doing it. I think that it's the way you have to do it after this year is this is a completely open competition. So, you know, I, th- I think it's going to be about a toss up, to, at least to start things off between Kern and Bachmeyer. I could potentially see maybe, you know, Bachmeyer winning the job, just depending on how well he gels in the system. But I also really like Jeremy Hicklinski. He had put up unbelievable numbers in a very, very competitive division of high school football. And, you know, the offense, first of all, we spoke of him. I think, and we've mentioned this on previous podcasts, remarkably confident young man and has been coming to Wake Forest for a long time, plays with the swagger, plays with the confidence and plays also in an RPO heavy offense, which also fits in with what Wake does. So I don't know if it'll be this year or a year to come, but I'm excited to see what Jeremy Hicklinski does. But in terms of, you know in terms of this coming season it really is just a toss up and a fun one and uh, a position that Wake Forest has not been in for some time when it t- when it comes to the quarterback i think he made two astute points
0: there ben the first being that michael kern having the advantage i didn't think about that i think that's a good point i don't think there's a distinct large advantage but the uh, maybe an ever so slight one just because he's the one guy who's been at wake forest for a while like Jeremy Klinsky will be coming in for the first time. Hank Bachmeyer coming in for the first time. Charlie Gilliam's been at, at Wake for just under, I mean, under a year. When the battle really starts, it'll be under a year as well. So Kern at least has that staying power. But your other astute point is that Wake Forest hasn't had this quarterback battle in quite some time. And it is good that they are having it. I think it is very, very good that Dave Coulson is not giving this position to someone, that they are going to have to go out there and earn it. And I think that's what Wake Forest needs going into 2024. You put three or four guys out there, and you just say, go play ball, go win it, and, and see who does it. I don't know who it's going to be. It could be Michael Kern. It could be Bachmeyer. I would be surprised if it's Jeremy Oklinski just simply because... You, you have a guy who's young, and so you want to hopefully give him some time to get bigger and, and to get better. But hey, if Jeremy Oklinski comes in and just absolutely rattles off a crazy good camp, I don't know if, I don't think there's going to be anything holding Wake Forest back from starting. I think it's him.
1: possible. I think it's within the scope of possibility for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, if he earns it, I think they'll start him, but it'll be a battle. And I think Wake Forest absolutely needs to have this happen. I I could not stress it more that I think Wake Forest having a quarterback competition to earn the starting spot happening over the spring and the summer is going to be very, very good for this football team. I think it is exactly what Wake Forest needs and having three or four guys who are capable battling it out for the job is good, is very good. In regards to spring practice, it'll, as I said, come up like a snap It'll happen very, very soon. We will have discussion, coverage of all that here on the Boots on the Ground pod. Also having written coverage over at bloggersodeer.com. In terms of the future, the near future on the Boots on the Ground pod, basketball coming up with two more quad four non-conference games, Delaware State on Monday the 18th, then Presbyterian on the 24th, uh, the 21st rather. We'll have a pod covering all that and then getting prepared for the first ACC conference game of the season for the Demon Deacons against Virginia Tech. That'll be on the 30th. So after these next two games, we'll talk about those, get prepared for Virginia Tech, and get ready for conference season for Wake Forest. That'll be it for us now on the Boots on the Ground pod. Again, we will have so much more coverage going forward, and we cannot wait to continue to bring it to you. Thank you for joining us alongside Ben Conroy. I've been Essex there. We'll see you all soon.
1: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw.